Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume three, issue 140. You can, as ever, play along with us at Cane and Rinse, and our next five issues are scheduled to be The Chronicles of Riddick, Escape from Butcher Bay, and Assault on Dark Athena. Following that, it's Snatcher. Then some more rareware fun with Viva Pinata, Trouble in Paradise. Then it's our long-awaited Last of Us show, recording at the end of August once we've all had a chance, or most of us have had a chance, to play the remastered edition. And then new to the list is Gunpoint. Head to canerince.com for the full schedule, the blog, and links to our merchandise store, and things like the Facebook, the Google+, the YouTube. We'd really appreciate it if you'd uh, look into some of those, subscribe and do the, you know, like and all that good stuff. That would be great. And similarly, as always, subscriptions on iTunes are our lifeblood, as are your reviews and ratings. Thank you very much. Now joining me, Leon Cox, in this terrifying issue, James Carter. Hello. And Carl Moon. Hiya. Uh, And... Eddie Inzorto uh, was supposed to be joining us, but sadly his job is much too cool um, and demanding, and he's genuinely apologetic that he couldn't make it. We're sorry he couldn't be on, um, but he is working on a very cool TV series that's coming your way shortly, so um, yeah, good luck with that. Uh, I think we should right at the top do a big red capitalised bolded spoiler warning for this one um now it's a 15 year old game and its predecessor which has a rather similar plot is five years older than that even so you may already know and it may even be a spoiler in itself to say that the plot is quite familiar to those of you who have played later games in the Bioshock series (laughs) uh but there it is um obviously we're mainly talking about system shock 2 for the reason that uh it is the one you can go and buy uh, it's the one that came out it was re-released last year on services like Steam and Good Old Games uh, it's been in a sale this week on one of those type of platforms for about a pound which is frankly insane for the amount Ludicrous. of game you get yeah. for your money um, System Shock 1 was a DOS game uh, it came on floppy disk it was released in 1994 um, I've not played it I've watched a bit of, I don't think any of us have would that be correct or did, Carl did you play any at the time? Uh I sort of, I played it on the time back on the old sort of computers, but I, I didn't get away with it. I was far too much a Doom man. Okay, yeah. Um, so I mean, the first System Shock, uh, obviously, it's, uh, Looking Glass Studios, Origin published that one. Um, Warren Spector produced it. Uh, came out on PC and Mac, or, as I say, on floppy disk first for DOS machines um, back in 1994, and uh, there was a CD version shortly after. Looking at it now. Um, there are bits that, uh, you know, there's lots you can see that was carried over into the second game five years on. And as we'll discuss, there was plenty of that game that we're talking about that got carried into further shock games. Um, I think it would have been difficult for us to play in a number of ways. You certainly can play it mm. because there's people playing it and recording it on YouTube. Um, but I think given how some of the mechanics, even in System Shock 2, now seem are quite a pardon upon shock to the system i think going back another five years and playing a game in DOSBox or something w- would have been a stretch too far so uh we're not being completely um completist and purist about this but uh system shock 2 i think is i think you know sort of a, a reasonable place to start uh of course we've already talked about bioshock and bioshock 2 you can search those podcasts out um, now, obviously, coming out as it did in 1994, it was, uh, I think it's 
fair to say it was quite sophisticated. I suppose influences, even at that point, you could trace it all the way back to 3D Monster Maze on the ZX81. Um, and games like Dungeon Master and uh, Tony Crowther's Liberation and Captive, maybe even Hired Guns a little bit on the Amiga. Um, and obviously Doom had only come out the year before. Mm. Carl's already mentioned it, um, but this was, you know, much more. Although it had first-person combat and uh, and a, in a in a three D environment, um, it had all these sophisticated ideas about um, you know picking stuff up and using it in the way that those older RPGs that I already mentioned had. Obviously, in nineteen ninety four, we were also while we were after films like Alien and Demon Seed. Um, we were before uh, two, I would say, key influences on System Shock 2, which were the game Half-Life, um, yeah. which obviously came out a year before or thereabouts. Um, I, th- I suspect some of the similarities in terms of presentation were probably already in place in System Shock 2, but I think certain things you can see a Half-Life influence in there. Um, and also the movie Event Horizon, um, yeah. another um, uh, you know, a 90s haunted house in space movie, I think is a touchstone for System Shock 2. I think it was 97, wasn't it, Event Horizon? So um, one of Paul uh, W. Anderson's uh, only watchable movies, perhaps. So System Shock 2, uh, late 1999. Uh, and Irrational Games, now the name behind the game, and the designer was Ken Levine. Also worked on this one was uh, the programmer, uh, Robert Fermier or Fermier um, and unsurprisingly he also worked on Thief 2 and Deus Ex um, and these are games again that you would can see have a, a genetic link obviously this game's also in the Dark Engine which uh, was Thief the first game in the Dark Engine as in it, Thief it, the it Dark was Project there, yeah, yeah, yeah it was their yeah. engine yeah yeah um, and lots of similarities with the, you know, the original Deus Ex in terms of um, inventory management and stuff like that. And that came the year after and certainly mm. uh, things that you might recognise. Um, I, I think it being a year between each, it'd be tough to say that one only existed because of any of the others. But I think it speaks a lot to, and a lot of the same people involved in, in uh, several of these projects, including the Thief Games as well, obviously. But it speaks to... Uh, almost a movement that was going on at the time to have um, a different type of first-person game to the the Dooms and the Quakes and whatnot. Well, Quake, not mm. quite there yet, but, you know, that kind of that kind of game. Uh, three composers worked on the game. Obviously, we'll talk about the audio design separately later. Uh, Josh Randall, um, Eric Brosius, who uh, was in the band Tribe and uh, also worked on Thief and went on to do lots of stuff with harmonics, uh, a specialist, obviously, music-based outfit. But also, uh, Ramin Jawadi worked on this game, and he's gone on to be a, a film composer of some repute, having worked on uh, you know fairly big-budget blockbuster stuff uh, like Iron Man, Blade Trinity. Not always great films, maybe, but uh, <laughs> also worked on Game of Thrones. Pacific um, Rim stands out to me. Uh, that Pacific soundtrack, Rim. Yeah. yes. When I saw his name uh, pop up associated yeah. with System Shock Two, I thought, "Wow!" Uh, before we talk about our histories with System Shock Two, uh, as long or short as they may be, uh, from our community, starting with our very own Darren Gargett. Uh, don't normally include comments from the team, but uh, this one I liked. He said, "It was the first time I cowered in the corner in a video game. Wasn't the last." <laughs> and Robotic Monkey, regular correspondent, said. I never managed to complete it. Spooked me out far too much. I wonder if I'd feel the same if I replayed it now. Yes. 
<laughs> yes, uh, we looked at in in preparation for the show. We looked at the um, it's not something that I normally use a reference point, but it caught my attention this time as the uh, Yahtzee Croshaw zero punctuation on this game from when it came out last year, and he did rightly say that this is a game that many have played, many will sing the praises of, not many have finished for a whole bunch of reasons that we'll probably get into. Carl, did you buy this or, you know, you you can probably say even if you hooked it um, from 15 years ago, but did you play this in 99 or soon after? I I did acquire it. Um, I, I didn't know a whole lot about it. Uh, it. It's one of those games, you know, you, the magazines were talking about it, but even at the time it wasn't getting major uh, pages uh, in the press, which is a bit of a shame. But this was maybe the big, the the first big first person shooter to come after Half Life uh, on the PC for me. And I've said as much as I need to on Half Life, and when we did that episode, that you know, for me, it's it is my favorite ever game. So yeah, anything that came after that was going to struggle. You know, this was the David Moyes after Sir Alex Ferguson of video games. <laughs> it just wasn't going to get a fair look. Um. And I, it performed I did, a bit I, better than Moyes, possibly. Uh, well, it performed uh, a lot better than Moyes. <laughs> you know, um, it worked for a start, but it's you know, it, I it, I enjoyed it, but it was quite off-putting. There was so much work that I had to put into as the user, whereas I always felt that something like Half Life delivered the story to me. And at the time, I really appreciated what Half Life did in in changing the way that story was cinematically delivered to you yeah. that system shock 2 felt jarring it felt like it should have been a game before half-life um and i'd put a few hours into it but i'd, I'd wandered away you know 99 was a was a strange year was the uh, dreamcast was coming out which i was so excited for and yeah i'd um you know that, that was a similar time and it just sort of wandered past me um and i'd gone back to it a couple of years after that and it was the same sort of thing. I played a couple of hours and, and went away. And it was the strangest thing because I could only ever really say a lot of positive about it. There was a few negative points, but it was mainly glowing praise. But I found it really difficult to stick with. And it's something that when I've looked on the internet, a lot of people have had the same problem with the game. Yeah, yeah. And I think the combat, if, if you were compare, and I think this is probably why it suffered in, I mean, it reviewed well overall, really well, actually. But if there were criticisms, it generally revolved around the fact that the combat felt very, very basic and limited compared to even, yeah, things like Quake. You know, it was it was it was stiff and it was so dictated by stats and visually the combat isn't you know particularly exciting. I so mean, I visually at all, the game struggles. You know, even at the time, the game was actually criticised for its graphics. It was. Never a great looking game. It was in a strange engine. It had come across obviously from the the dark engine from Thief, which worked very well for a game like Thief. But this is obviously a, a heavily RPG uh, first person shooter, which is we'll we'll talk about later on, I'm sure. But it's really RPG in in a first person shooter when you look back at it from how far we've come since then, and. It, I think just a lot of it was quite off-putting, but I remember visually at the time, it really didn't do a whole lot for me. Um, mm. You know, it's something I, I admit I played this with with the mods on this time. I, I played a little bit with the mods off. I played the majority of the game with the visual fan-made mods on this time, and the combat was... I can see why it was criticised. The, the ironic thing is if you play it in a sort of a melee stance, that combat melee isn't too different from something like Skyrim. You know, so it, there's no. only so much you can sort of do with the melee combat. But when you're playing it with 
uh, with a gun. It it sort of does that thing where if you if anyone played Fallout Three and you try and use the guns at first and you're like, why am I missing? Why is it not doing any damage? It's sort of that. Yeah, element you get huge so kickbacks on your stats. And, yeah, yeah, and your weapons can break. And and uh, well, we'll get into all that. Um, it's brilliant, um, isn't it? <laughs> are you the sort of person who Carl who gets uh, scared by games then or now? Um, you know, some people do, some people don't. It's not a measure of bravado or or manliness. It's just some type, Some people are affected and some people aren't. Some games. It, it's the strange thing. I know I share one fear in video games with our Josh, and that's sharks. Okay. Any, anything under the water, sharks. That puts me off. That's I mean, Darren the, the, as well. He's got the same probably, thing. Probably mm. the scariest game I've played. Start of Tomb Raider Underworld. That, right. That, that literally that scared me. Yeah. Um, something like uh, System Shock Two or even uh, Silent Hill, which you know I've been discussing Silent Hill with someone um, recently, and they they were saying, oh, that that game was so scary. And even as a relatively young lad when I played it, that didn't bother me. So there's the I don't really get scared by survival horror games as much as I do just situational horror, which is obviously you know you're in the water with sharks. That scares me. Something like this, no, it really genuinely doesn't bother me. Okay. Um, yeah, so I picked this up um, fairly a little while after it came out. It was one of those, I remember it getting uh, some strong reviews. I'd recently bought a games-worthy PC, um, and it was staring at me from game shop shelves, and I kept not picking up. And eventually I did, um, and I gave it a couple of goes, um, but I literally found it too terrifying to continue playing. I got um very, very short way in, um, and uh, I think... I, I, it was intimidating on a number of levels, and some of those levels remain um, just in terms of the sheer amount of information and things you have to learn and, and pick up. Um, but it was the combination of that plus the fact that I think I triggered an alarm, as I say, um, didn't understand that sort of concept. I hadn't played anything quite like that before. It, it you know, I, I got that it had RPG elements, um, but this sort of marriage of first-person action and and stuff um combined with the the sound design the oppressive atmosphere um the uh, the relentless uh, respawning enemies and the fact that i probably selected a character at first who could barely you know walk or anything and had like you know i had a spanner um think i died really quickly and easily and that combination of feeling of uh, of yeah the the audio and the weakness of the character and the intimidation of the entire game put me off. Now, I always intended to play it, as I do with many, many games that I put to one side. Um, and so, yes, I've gone back to it uh, for this podcast, as has Carl, we should say. Um, finally played all the way through it. Um, found it considerably less terrifying this time, partly probably my age, partly um, the fact that I did play it modless and the graphics have diminished. Um, some of the audio now is, uh, I still think, is tremendous, but some of it, like the speech samples for the enemies, are, are pretty much in the sort of deadly premonition realms of, of <laughs> mild comedy. Um, but that said, you know, there were still a few moments when um, when hybrids jumped out of rooms at me and I, I leapt and, you know, ended up looking at the ceiling as the mouse jolted skywards and things like that. Um, but certainly I still probably found the difficulty more, more scary than, than the, than, than Shodan talking to me or, or whatever. But, uh, but I finished it. I got through in the end, played it on normal. Um, didn't really use the, uh, what are they called? The regeneration chambers, uh, which uh, for we'll probably refer to Bioshock quite a bit because people are more likely to be familiar with that. Um, are like the Vita chambers, in Bioshock, but in this game you have to activate them before they do anything. Is that true in Bioshock? 
I don't think no. it is. You, well, you simply no. walk past them yeah. And, yeah. and it classes it as that area being active. Discovered, yeah. Um, uh, but I, I, I used the heck out of quick saving. Um, I mean, I know there are people who uh, pride themselves on going through games like this on the harder difficulties and never dying and, and all that and, and fair play to them. But I used quick save a lot. Um, but, mm. uh, you know, I got through it. And in the end, I, ha- I still had a whole load of health packs left um, and some ammo. Um, but it is possible to get stuck. And we'll talk about that later, too. Uh, so, James, um, is this this is new to you? For you, you, you were so you're you're also a stand-in um, because it was going to be Tony, but uh, Tony can't. He's far too busy, unfortunately, to commit <laughs> the yeah. amount of time and effort that this game definitely took the three of us, I think, to complete. Yeah. yeah um, so, is this just you've just played this for the show? Um, yes and no. Um, I, I guess I started looking a good few years ago now around to see if System Shock Two was something I could play, just on on the basis of what I'd heard others say about it, which was very little, but always fairly, you know, uh, sort of hushed tones, you know, good praise laid upon the game and its atmosphere and that kind of thing. Mm. And knowing that it was a spiritual predecessor, I suppose, to, um, to Bioshock, which for a long time after I played, it was, uh, my, my favorite game. Um, and, uh, and so I'd, I'd looked around, but, PC games can be really tricky. Um, so if you don't have, or even if you do have, sometimes even on Steam, uh, if you do have access to a, a digital copy um, on good old games, that you can be fairly sure that they're going to work. But uh, even some games on Steam don't. Uh, so buying a disc version of it just seemed like, it seemed ridiculous, frankly, to yeah. do that and not knowing if it would work at all mm-hmm. uh, or having to jump through so many hoops, as I've already mentioned with, the original um so when it was announced it, it was actually it came out on good old games uh, a little over a year maybe sort of 15 16 months ago now i think uh, yeah. um i think it was at least um but it it came out on good old game first and uh, the day it was announced i sort of dashed home from work um or the day it came out um it i dashed home from work picked it up and i just assumed because no one mentioned anything about steam version that it wasn't going to be coming to Steam. I assumed that good old games had kind of done the work to get it on their right. their um, store, and uh, and so picked it up there, and uh, and never actually fired it up to my shame. Um, yeah. And then shortly thereafter, it was it was a matter of weeks. I think it ended up coming out on Steam and uh, in a Steam sale. I think last year I ended up grabbing it. But the long and the short of that was it went onto my backlog, yes. and uh, and just never got round to it. And so, as I do with several games, I kind of use uh, our our schedule in terms of recording to prompt me to go Absolutely. and play th- those games. And so that's exactly what I did with this. And uh, I, I let you and and Tony uh, know that that I was going to be playing along. And so, yeah, a week and a half ago now, I I started it up less than that, probably a week ago. Yeah, you started it up it in. And, uh, and yeah, I played it on good old games in in uh, respect of the fact that they actually popped out first. So. Uh, it's still sitting on Steam, and I'm kind of tempted to go and see if I could try a harder difficulty level, but I doubt it. Yeah, I was, um, I was going to ask you what what uh, level you decided to to play this uh, on. Just, just normal. Uh, yeah, just the, the there three or four. I forget. I only There's four difficulties. Uh, I played four, it on yeah. normal. Um, but as yeah. I say, there's any number of ways you can play this, and this starts with um, the character uh, building area. Um, and forewarned was forearmed in my case because Tony started playing this for the podcast before I did. 
and said, I got this far and I got completely stuck because, you know, this happened because I needed this skill and I'd used all my cyber modules on other things. And again, this is one of the things that zero punctuation goes into. It is entirely possible in the style of old video games, 15-year-old games that were built entirely for a PC audience, for instance, like this one, um, to... Yeah, basically paint yourself into a corner, either with uh, with character building or occasionally with sort of unpleasant glitches. There are bits where you can walk outside the geometry and get stuck. Unfortunately, it does have some auto-saving. Um, you can keep rolling saves and it has quick save and all that sort of thing. But ultimately, you can, you could end up, for instance, on the final boss as a character who couldn't use psionic powers but with zero ammunition left. Um, there would be there would be no way of uh, getting more. Um, I mean, there was, for instance, here here's the kind of game it is. There was one point where I just spent all my nanites getting something that I felt I needed for a certain area, possibly uh, anti venom uh, needles, um, hypo hypodermics, or something like that, and then. Uh, the very next section, there's a, a, a scripted bit where uh, one of these uh, creepy enemies, these uh, robotic or hybrid midwives, is uh, smashes a particular machine. Um, so by this point, this is quite late in the game. I'm jumping ahead, but um, by this point, you're you're uh, again. Those who have played Bioshock will be familiar of having a voice over uh, over an earpiece telling them what to do. Uh, would you kindly? It doesn't have that in it. Um, you know, you need to do this. You need to get this. You need to you need to repair this thing. You need to hack this thing. Then you need to buy this thing. It's like, oh, okay, all right. So I need um, I need to hack this broken vending mm-hmm. machine to start with. Okay, all right, I'll go and do that. That costs five nanites, the currency. Every time you want to reset, yeah. I don't have five nanites now. Yeah, I mean, I you can trick. You can only ever pay five if you want by abusing the quick save which is something I did, but I didn't have five nanites. I had one nanite. <laughs> so that meant uh, one of many long backtrack treks to a place where there were the right kind of enemies, ones that I could dispatch quickly and that had a, I, I assume it's a dice roll chance of having uh, five nanites on them when you kill them. Um, so I did that and then I had to go back to the machine and then it was 100 nanites to buy the thing that she told you that you needed <laughs> to fix the situation, to uh, basically to, uh, to blow up a, a shield on a, on a shuttle so you can smash the shuttle. This, is, to... this is a shield disruptor. Yeah, or whatever that's it's called. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I can't actually remember. What I, yeah, no, I do remember what I did at that point. I actually went back to an older save at that point and ended up doing a whole section again. Um, you know, But if I hadn't kept rolling saves, I would have had to have farmed enemies for nanites um so would have had to kill 20 who were carrying um nanites now that's probably about one in every three or four that you kill and they only spawn like two or three at a time in certain areas so it would have been really quite unpleasant yeah. doing that i mean it Not- is actually quite a brutally old school game in, in how it yeah. approaches many of those things but in 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 the similar situation i actually bought the recycler from one of the Vending machines, yes, and yeah. because I played a purely melee uh, and psionic based game, I couldn't actually use weapons on my loadout. I had zero points all the way through to the end. Yeah. Every single bit of ammo that I could get up, I could run it through the recycler and get nanites for it. So mm-hmm. uh, nanites were never actually an issue for me um, as a result of my playstyle. But yeah, you know, my my own playstyle came with its own share of 
issues, yes. not least in the penultimate section of the game, which was one of the most frustrating <laughs> moments yeah, in I, I probably my history yeah. of gaming as a melee, uh, as someone using melee. I did wonder. Yes. Well, yeah. I mean, but that's exactly it. The, the 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 amount of ways you can play this game because of the the breadth and the depth of the character building um, is admirable and fascinating. But it all starts. You know, uh, starting with the backstory, you are a uh, a marine type space soldier. Well, you can choose to be a marine, but you are you are a space soldier who, in the future, can use cybernetic mods. You are stationed on the ship, the Von Braun, which is the first ship um, capable of light speed travel. I think, mm-hmm. yeah, um, yes. much like the Event Horizon, possibly. Um, uh, and it also has a ship that piggybacks on it, a military ship, the Rickenbacker, which uh, goes goes with it, basically. Um, you end up, uh, after three tours of duty, um, where you select... Uh, firstly, you select one of three <laughs> roles, OSA, Navy or Marines. It does give. It does tell you what this will do to your uh, some of your, your enormous array of stats. But then... Um, and then you go on three tours of duty, each of which have uh, modifying effects on your base stats. Now, all that's really cool. Um, one of our correspondents said it reminded them of uh, the old space RPG Traveller, um, uh, probably an influence as well. But you, at the start of the game, you have no idea what you want yeah. to be able you're, to you're do. You're choosing or rather yeah. blind. Yeah. It's, yeah. Absolutely. yeah, it's one of those things. I think I played about three hours uh, into the game the first time and I decided... I don't really want this rollout. You know, this this isn't this isn't yeah. the the role of my character. It was one of those things I sort of rushed through. I thought, oh, OSA sounds cool. I'll, I'll do a little bit of marine, and uh, yeah, I, I might do another marine. And it was just you know, before you know it, you've got this character, and you, I, I was using these guns, and I thought, I think I'll go melee and psionic. I like the idea of being essentially a mage, a space mage, which is what the, the yep. psionic ability is. Yeah. Um. So I actually restarted the game. I actually paid attention. Because uh, one of the downsides to this game is that the interface that the game uses does not scale to your resolution. Those boxes are a set size. Um, And for anyone who doesn't know, I've got quite a high resolution monitor. Um, And... It, I mean, it sounds a proper first world problem, but the the the, the health box, the uh, where your audio diaries go and your inventory, they don't scale with the resolution. They no, are a set scale. size. Yeah. So when you were playing it back in 1999, when monitor resolutions were probably 1024 by 768, it wasn't yeah. so much an issue. I'm playing it on 2560 by 1440. The, I mean, that was minuscule. I actually had to get, at one point... Uh, within three inches of my monitor to see what my health was. Yeah. So that became a real issue for me at times playing this game. And it, it is completely and utterly b- bizarre now looking back on it, but it, it, it's one of those sort of quirks that you sort of accept on the game and laugh. But, um, yeah, I mean, the, 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 there's a few situations with that where it becomes an issue. And it was easy for me to miss that text because it's sort of in the north, uh, the northwest, the top left-hand yeah. corner yeah. of the screen. And... I just sort of rushed through it because, again, like I said, OSA, Marina, Marina, it sounded cool. Um, and then I noticed it was actually, this will give you plus one strength and uh, a two psionic ability sort of thing. And I was like, all oh, right, okay. So I started constructing my character a lot more carefully because yeah. one thing this game does not do is it does not hold your hand. Nope. It does not say sorry and it does not hold your hand when you are playing it. Nope. There are there are no waypoints. You can um, so, for instance, another another sort of interesting thing about playing this game is, uh, especially post 
Bioshock where you will notice when you play System Shock 2 post Bioshock, you notice how much of it is in there, how much of it was still in Bioshock, but how streamlined it was. How I, I may I say incredibly cleverly for the console market for a less, mm-hmm. you know, f- yeah. uh, for a more accessible game. I appreciate but, it more now. Yeah, yeah, than I did at the time. Yeah. But there is something really fun about having it. Makes you feel quite grown up and intelligent and smart using all that. You know, picking your way through that immense amount of on-screen furniture, the 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 sort of um, Resident Evil case-style inventory system, only miles mm. bigger. Um, you've got uh, you have to tab use it. I mean, I mean, apart from anything else, you have to rebind the keys before you even start playing because there's a billion key commands and the default setup is kind of pre. Um, WASD being the standard, so that's weird. Um, Even in the tutorial, one of the prompts is use the tilde key, and it's like, yeah. how many people are actually going to know what that is? Yeah, <laughs> it's I, I used, bizarre. Yeah, I, I, yeah, tilde for for bringing up your um, by default for bringing up your psi orb, isn't it? Um, yeah, yeah I mean that's the thing you have to bring up. Whereas in Bioshock, you swap swap arms basically with a flick mm, of a button. Yeah. In in this, you have to press tilde to bring up your arm, and then you can't you can't really do anything else while you're doing that. Um, rather like Zombie U, uh, when you bring up your menu um, with the tab key or your menus, your absolute you know a sc- screen cluttering array of stuff, um, you are completely vulnerable pretty much. Um, what else I yeah, say? that's a strange one, yeah. isn't it? Because when your inventory's up, you can actually run forwards and backwards, but you can't strafe left or right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So I, I'm not sure whether you could actually turn left or right because obviously, like you said, back when this was released, people would turn strafe wasn't necessarily the common move to go to, whereas now it is. So maybe you could have turned and, and sort of moved, but it it would catch you out quite often with the overlay mm. because your mouse would be navigating the, the the sort of the menu and and and, and the entirety the, of the yeah, hood the but you could sort of run forwards and backwards so if you're in a straight <laughs> corridor it wasn't too bad yeah but, but the, most the, of the time you're in combat and it becomes a bit of a thrashing around to get your inventory off yeah and stuff. especially later yeah. in the game uh definitely shortcut um add your own shortcuts for uh health hypos and um med packs um yeah and and that's it it's weird how uh inaccessible strafing was when it's absolutely key to the combat um, circle yeah, strafing. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. maybe less so if depending on your character type, but certainly if you're a shooter like I was. Um, but even if even if you just want to get away, there are certain enemies where um, you know it's just the, the right thing to do is kind of back off and hit them. <laughs> basically, yeah, yeah, I mean that's yeah. that's probably one of the issues I would say the, in one of the areas the game shows its age, as well as the unmodded uh, enemy models looking fairly ridiculous. I have to say. <laughs> um, Still, you know, they'll still make you jump in, you know, using sound and stuff. But um, there are, you can sort of do that thing like you used to be able to with, and you, well, you probably still can with some games. You know, that sort of AI that you can just, you know, stay just out of distance of it, of it knowing you're there and pick it off with impunity. Mm-hmm. Or in the case of the giant security robots, actually run up so close to them that they can't, they literally can't shoot at you. Mm-hmm. So I found, I felt like there was a lot of, in the, in the combat, there was a lot of kind of um, abusing the game rather than playing it. Do you know yeah. what I mean? But in a way well, that well, has even in, satisfaction. in the old style, old style FPS cover system, which is basically stand behind cover and yeah. then just sidestep out. Yeah. Um, and and especially out. with a lot yeah, of projectiles kind of move. It's got a lean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But never used it. Just 
<laughs> just sidestepped out and shot and yeah. and you can actually sidestep a lot of the projectiles that the enemies fire as well so yeah strafing like that becomes quite important quite quickly and if you end up in use mode when you're trying to do that you could be you could come a cropper quite quickly but yes back on the uh, on the subject of the game not holding your hand the thing i meant to say was um so of course you have a map um there this this uh, the ship the von brown is pretty huge it's spread over five or six decks uh, each one is uh, fairly expansive um there are no waypoints there there you there is no big golden arrow that's showing you where to go at all times um and although i ended up getting lost a few times carl we we were talking on twitter about this you yeah. actually said i enjoyed getting lost because mm. you kind of have to learn the place the space you're in yeah. um in a way that a lot of modern games don't don't make you um there is a you can have an on-screen mini map with uh, which does show your movement in real time thank goodness because that was a lifesaver at points mm. um but in terms of yeah like the the bioshock way of just following the big arrow like it's some kind of scrolling brawler you know it's just not there mm. it it's I, I remember saying at the time that i felt pride genuine pride that i was learning this ship that i was on when you're running around the engineering deck which you know, it's quite a long chapter in the game and it yeah. is very confusing. Yes. When, you know, you keep going back to engineering later on because you might need to go and research something um, and you know that the chemicals in that locker and you can go from between decks one and three in particular without looking at the map because you've learned it because you've been back yeah. and forth so much. It's something that games probably would not get away for, uh, away with now. It would be highly criticised because it wouldn't be very user-friendly and stuff and I can understand that. But it's like time's passed so long since this was released to now that it was actually refreshing to sort of go back to playing that. Maybe for this game, I wouldn't want it for probably many more than this game, but mm. this game does it well. The environment is designed well. Um, it is a belief for you know, the limitations of uh, of the Dromed tool that was used to create the engine and and the the graphics that it has. It's a believable ship. To all intents and purposes, and it, I think it, it, it harks back to what you were saying about it, the game being scary. And I don't know if it's this, if this is true. This is how I feel. Um, that maybe when this game was released, we had more imagination as gamers because the game couldn't deliver all the the bells and whistles that they do now. That you you look at something like Bioshock Infinite, which is so grandiose and spectacular with its graphics that you don't need a whole heap of imagination to imagine that world happening around you. Whereas no, in System right. Shock 2, it's actually quite sparse that, that the imagination was going into overdrive for this being a real ship. And, you know, and I was starting to learn it like I was actually an employee on it. And that I enjoyed that as much as anything in this game. And it's the thing that seems to be the most off-putting to most people that, that stops them from playing it. It was just 15 years later, something that I reveled in. Yeah, James, I think you had similar feelings. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, this goes back to what I said about Burnout Paradise. It was very rewarding to me to learn the environments. Um, and Carl, you mentioned chemicals. Yeah, chemical stores. You can't carry all of those chemicals no. with you. Even if you no. carry a few, chances are it's not the one you need for research. Yeah. Um, so it becomes important to know where you're going i actually found when i most recently went back to play bioshock uh, a year, year or so ago i think a bit more than that because it was before uh, infinite came out um I, I actually found if you know where you're going in that game as i do in around rapture i know my way um that arrow 
telling you where the game wants you to go next is actually really annoying mm, mm-hmm. when it's just swinging around, you know, like a, a, a weather vane um, in the breeze. And it's not helping you at all because I, you know where you're going. If you're not going in the direction the game wants you to, chances are by the time you've learned the map, it's because you know you want to go somewhere else first, either to pick up some items you didn't have before or to upgrade a weapon or whatever it might be. And it's exactly the same here. Um, it It is frustrating to be told you need to go and get something from an office or uh, yeah. from you know the mess hall or whatever or, or medical station or whatever it might be, and to suddenly think, I passed that, Two hours There's ago, quite a lot I of backtracking no throughout get, the game isn't to get it? back to that. Yeah. And um, sometimes it's optional backtracking. I'm talking about those chemical stores. I think it's a great illustration of how the game is different. So Bioshock would hmm. uh, it, you know, send you to a room with an item in which you needed. Say if it had a chemical store in it, you would go to a chemical store and there would be one interactable thing in there. It would be huge and gold and glowing and twinkling yep. and saying press activate on this. In, in System Shock 2, you go to a room, uh, some of which have like 15 20 25 canisters in them each with a little yeah, code letter on it saying what chemicals yeah. in it and you are expected to like a real person go into that room find that room trapes there uh, and then scan the shelves for the chemical that you need and mm. then manually put it in your inventory um i even just really like the thing of um you know clicking on stuff and it goes into your your Tetris box inventory and then actually moving stuff around then in, the, in yeah. there or putting it back into yeah, the world it's, or it, putting keys into the or you know plugs yeah, into absolutely. the world um, and then you have to manually apply the chemical the requisite chemical to the research that you're doing the research mm-hmm. is similar in the way I mean again just how I think how brilliantly they streamlined all this stuff for Bioshock you know I, I still love mm-hmm. Bioshock too um, using the photograph to uh, the the camera to to photograph uh, splicers to to yeah, to yeah, learn in yeah. this game you pick up you pick up chunks of them that you basically yeah. <laughs> you've killed and it's more like XCOM or something isn't it where you're you're mm, kind of doing yeah. the lab work fascinating stuff part of the telling thing uh, you said about streamlining and BioShock and the arrow and and the the effect around items to show you which is the item you want um in in the menus they had options to turn all of that off so again they recognize yes that, that is true for a console audience they want to give them that option by default but like vita chambers turn it off if you don't want it yes and so that was a real uh, sign in in hindsight now i see that they understood that people who went to this to, went yeah. to Bioshock from System Shock wouldn't want that kind of handholding. As and as I kind the, of feel bad that I because I did look at those options. I remember now looking at those options and mm. thinking, oh, maybe I should play this. I didn't have enough. I hadn't played enough System Shock to, or didn't have strong enough memories to mm. to think, oh yes, of course that's for that purpose. Yeah, yeah. But I think I just took the easy, the soft option because you mm. know it's what I'm accustomed to. Um, even in 2007, which is you know only only eight years after the game we're talking about came out, <laughs> and now yeah. actually seven years ago, so you know it splits the difference. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, yeah. But I kind of wish I had turned the big arrow off because I think as much as you know, I adore Rapture. Um, I, I adore. I still adore Rapture more than I. I feel affection towards the, the you know the cold sterile von Braun that has its own appeal of being on a spaceship, mm. which is you know something I dreamed of as a kid. Um, I kind of wish I'd turn those arrows off and, and look you know spent longer looking at Rapture and smelling the flowers instead of kind of just following the arrow, following the arrow, go to mm. the objective, press on the glowy thing, you know, just getting sucked into the mechanics instead of you know living in immersing myself in the game world. 
The thing that struck me in, in System Shock 2 was, I mean, so the first moment you get off a train, yes. that, to me, Half-Life, yes. clear Half-Life. That didn't need to be Do a train, it that was a train. in the last year after Half-Life? That, I, that's my assumption. Well, yeah, I it mean, seems like it. It, it, it's Half-Life definitely had a big impact and it's yes, no looking doubt. back at interviews actually with Ken Levine, it actually surprised me um, how quickly System Shock 2 was made. Um, yeah, right. It, it yeah. was made with amateurs, uh, amateur games designers. He, he described it, he said, System Shock 2 was made in a single room, which was 900 square feet. He said, uh, we didn't have any money and we didn't have a lot of experience shipping games at that point. He said, we looked out by hiring some newcomers like Nate Wells, Ian Vogel, Michael Swiderek, and uh, Mauricio Tajirina. He said, as well as being loaned some guys from Looking Glass, including Dorian Hart, Alex Kay, and Randy Smith. He said, working on a uh, working in such conditions on a project that lasted 11 months right. mm-hmm. led to many yep. sleepless nights yep. and likely some foul body order. But <laughs> a game to be turned yep. around, especially for someone who was so roundly criticised for Bioshock Infinite taking so long, <laughs> for them to produce a game yeah. like System Shock 2 in 11 months is nothing short of absolute With of an unfinished engine for a lot of it as well because the dark engine wasn't finished at that point it was still being built mm. in conjunction mm. with Looking Glass and, and Irrational helping out with that but yeah, it's, it's remarkable. It's hugely impressive uh, I do feel yeah. like the game, even the, again, this is from the ignorant perspective of not actually having played System Shock 1, but from what I know about it, I, this is obviously by mostly different people, but it feels kind of like, it's kind of like a remake in, in a lot of ways isn't it it's like a it's more it's more of a it's the same thing again but bigger and more isn't it really rather than i mean it, yeah. the, the plot follows on but the plot of the first game which is revealed in the uh the very fuzzy and very very dilapidated looking <laughs> fmv uh, of which there's a small amount um mm. at the beginning does basically give away the the game um which is that uh the person who you think is guiding you at first uh players of bioshock will be familiar with this is actually the you know the, the malevolent presence um who wants to uh to take everything over in this game you also of course have a hive-minded um creepy worm-like space enemy uh which again will be familiar to younger gamers from things like dead space um yeah. and uh and i suppose any the flood in halo the flood in halo and the yeah, flood. Thing yeah, I absolutely, of, yeah. yeah especially when you're busting I mean, open the... sphincters to go from room to room yes yeah, yeah. it's actually yes. described as sphincters in the audio yeah. logs as well which actually mm, yeah. made me made me smile but i mean <laughs> the, the thing is that when ken levine brought this game on board it wasn't originally System Shock 2. Right. It was a completely different game. And he described it. He said, The original story had the player going from spaceship to assassinate a character similar to Colonel Walter Kurtz from Apocalypse Now. Mm. He says, We pitched this game uh, to Paul Neurath at Looking Glass Studios based on a story outline I wrote, and they gave us access to the Dark Engine uh, to build it. He said, We took the concept around to all the major publishers of the day, and we ended up talking to Electronic Arts, who held the rights to System Shock. He said EA eventually did sign the project and the original story outline quickly emerged. As Levine puts it, you can't have a System Shock game without Shodan. So I wanted to rewrite everything. I was such a System Shock fanboy that it was a dream come true to create the sequel. Yeah. Yeah. So the yeah. fact that this was 11 months and not the intended game, I think it, yeah. I've read somewhere that it was originally going to be called Junction Point uh, because System Shock did so badly. Uh, in terms yeah. of sales, that, that originally it was going to be distanced from it because System Shock was seen as uh, a way to move on from Ultima Online with yeah. their 
uh, with their RPG elements and put it into space as a first-person game because obviously first-person games were becoming a big deal and and no one was sure what's happening with the System Shock license. Obviously, Ken Levine was a massive fan of it and he ended up putting it all together to create this cult classic System Shock 2. If it was built in 11 months, they probably made it pretty much uh, entirely after Half-Life came out, which um, yeah. they went, let's start with a train and <laughs> give the guy a crowbar. Thing, yeah. you, you, start, you start coming off a train into a municipal area, which again, Half-Life Deus Ex, those are kind of synonymous with that type of, I guess, it seems harsh on other first-person shooters to call them cerebral first-person shooters, but that's the way they're kind of thought of. Um, and that all felt very Half-Life to me, that municipal area you're in at the beginning. No NPCs, which is true of pretty much the entirety of the game, certainly none that you can interact with. There's a few um, through glass, which is, again, familiar yeah. to uh, players yeah. of Dead Space 1 and Bioshock. And, and that, One of which that is seems... Ken Levine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And that seems very clearly to stop the player from basically beating to death an NPC that yep, it's um, crucial. that might yeah. be necessary. So, um, but it seems very empty that area. It seems kind of weird and stra- very strange, very unnerving. I found, um, which is weird with the uh, the Macarena robot Easter egg <laughs> yeah. when you're doing your training <laughs> on the third day. It's it's complete stark <laughs> contrast to the rest of the game. And there's also another Easter egg which most people miss is the basketball, which you get the second that you step off the train, you go up one of the side ramps above the door, there's a basketball, and you keep that all the way until you get to deck five, the recreation hall, and you throw it through the basket and you get an audio log, which is oddly recorded by one of the monkeys in the game. And the <laughs> monkey's talking that. and the monkey's talking for ages, but the text in the audio log is completely different. No, right. And the problem is you can't get a... Well, I couldn't find a transcript right. of what the audio log says, <laughs> and I didn't have the basketball. So the only way that I'm going to get to do it is to Play go through the, the whole game, game again, uh, which well, is a shame, but apparently it least, yeah. it's a really good um, audio log that, that gives a bit of history to what actually happened on the Von Braun. That's cool. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I just thought the opening of the game was quite uh, strange in that respect. You've already, ta- already talked, Leon, about uh, it, it's really obtuse what all these choices you have make, but just in the tutorial you have... You explained maintenance tools, ammo, health, food, nanites, uh, cyber modules, uh, normal and overcharge mode on the the energy pistol, hacking, shopping, mantling and climbing, uh, psi abilities, psi points, the tilde key, which I already mentioned, just stuck stood out as a real bizarre thing, and research as well. It, it just throws all that in your face, and then it's like, off you go in space. Off you go, yep. and <laughs> then you then it's a lot of telling you all this stuff no idea what you're choosing and why basically yeah. unless you're forewarned and then you get out onto the onto the von braun and the game actually starts and yeah it there's a real kind of disparity between that opening bit which i feel like is just like okay we've got to give the player a chance it's to get to grips with it's this. the most intense tutorial you yeah. can ever hope to take that in and there's only one bit missing is when you get on the ship yeah and you get some uh, implants which you can use to buy one of the four stations, and it's like choose choose some settings, which basically you can up a couple of stats or you know your weapons mm. and stuff. Mm. And you're like, what What do you mean? What what <laughs> what do I do? How do I do this? This wasn't explained to me, and it's the first thing it tells you to do. So I ignored it for ages, and then got <laughs> lost before I even found my first enemy. And that's when I realised that this was actually going to be quite a deep, maybe frustrating. 
um, and very old school game when I had to actually look at a guide to realize where I had to go before I'd encountered my first enemy, which is bizarre. Yes, uh, yeah. some of the obviously yeah. you. I think the first enemies you see are, are some of the the humanoid hybrids, which again unmodded yeah. look pretty silly now and sound pretty silly. But again, you know the over the over the, the gloom that hangs over the whole game. Um, the the sense of mystery um, does does mean that it doesn't. I would say it was not completely ineffective but there, there is an element of comedy that probably wasn't there at the time but yeah it's yeah. worth saying i mean yeah you're saying about the the uh tutorial being intense that it is that mm. because it is it's actually not very long it's just it's it, it stuffs all that no, stuff that james said into half about, an hour or so. if that yeah yeah and yeah, then prosper. the point is you know i, met, I said earlier that when you go off um flying to different uh places it jumps a year for each one. You you mm. literally are supposed to, as a character, be going off and spending a, uh, three years on different tours of duty. So the idea is that you've gained all this knowledge and all this skill, but actually what you gain as a is player, a few, you've, gained you've gained nothing. Yeah, a few sentences of <laughs> you had a fun time on this, yeah. or it was brutal. Which training. I did actually <laughs> quite like those stories. Some of them were pretty good and well put together. Um, oh, well written, you know the yeah. one where you go undercover. They were all your friends until you until you had to do your job and you made it count. Sort of thing, and you realise that you'd actually stabbed everyone in the back, quite literally, on mm. this tour of duty. Um, yeah, yeah they just daft little stories, and there are little elements of humour, dark humour, hidden around oh, yeah. in the game, where it, for moments it doesn't take itself too seriously. But yeah, the, the sound effects sometimes when you hit hit a hybrid and it makes like a strange pop noise, and he's like, ooh, and you're like, <laughs> <laughs> you can't help yeah. but think that doesn't quite sound right. But I think there are as well as. Um... Graphics mods. There's there's some uh, now. I, I elected to play the entire game vanilla without them. Um, but I've had a look, yeah. and obviously they do. You know, they, they it could certainly be said that they bring things up to date somewhat. Um, without you know, it's not you're not you're not going to find. You're never going to no, yeah, like They're never going to be able to mod geometry or anything like that. No, um, yeah, um, you're, you're very limited by sort of flat surfaces and, yeah, and but the, people put, the terrible geometry of the Yeah, characters. that's it. People have put yeah. a lot of work into uh, textures and uh, and is there there's lighting mods, is there, and things like that? Yeah, um, yeah. So the, There's some of everything, and some of them were, obviously, the, the soundtrack was put through a higher bit rate and right. yeah. stuff like that. But some of, the, some of the graphic stuff, because it's such a cult game, there's a, it, it's not like someone's just knocked together the graphics mods this is something no. i do want to mention on the podcast yeah, yeah. is that that in playing it it these were real you know labors of love love yeah. it was a real labor of love putting this together because you mm. know that that did not take five minutes this, this took a long time for them to put all these together and some of them actually look terrific like there's a moment where you walk out on uh, the third deck you get to hydroponics and it looks really good to the point mm. that I was like taking screenshots thinking, is this the same game? Mm. <laughs> and you, you think that if someone can do that to a game that's 15 years old and actually make it look pretty good. I mean, like you said, some of the some of the, the models are so such a low polygon yeah. count that you're very limited yeah. to what you can do. But but for the most part, um the mods don't feel like they're merely there to make it look better. They're there to make it a better experience. And it's yeah. something that you don't get from a lot of mods for a lot of games. This was completely the opposite. This 
I felt completely at home playing it with mods on because I didn't feel like I was alienating myself no, from the original way, experience. Um, it kind of makes more sense, although it's obviously more of a challenge in, in those ways that you mentioned. Um, it kind of makes more sense to play a 15-year-old game modded than it does, you know, a five-year-old game. Or, or, you know, yeah. as amazing as that GTA 4 mod looks, for instance, um, you know, you could play GTA 5, whereas System Shock 2... Um, you know, it's a game that's kind of, although it's, you know, thankfully been re-released, it's kind of, uh, it's, it's, bit, it's in stasis in, in its, um, in its looks without those, mm. without the modding community. Yeah. Now, uh, another thing that I, I'm, I don't suppose anyone's, uh, cause I mean, it probably wouldn't be any better, uh, but you know, we're going back, um, 15 years. I think overall, I, I would say that I've found the storytelling in System Shock 2, much less accomplished than it was in Bioshock. Um, it yeah. failed to communicate emotion as well, and there was the, the scenes were less well directed and so on. And part of that, although there's a lot of interesting stuff in there, um, the audio logs uh, are clearly uh, voice acted by people who were around at the time rather than who had actors. five minutes yeah. in between programming or Sometimes creating a texture. Sometimes it really works or... because you've got that naturalistic yeah. quality that they mm, don't sound yeah. like they're acting like some audio logs in more recent video games with audio logs do, but some of them sound a bit dead and flat and yeah. like they're just, somebody's gone, do I have to read this in my lunch break? You know, <laughs> I agree. The storyline isn't delivered to you in the same manner that, that Bioshock does, but Bioshock is exceptional in how it does that. That that mm. is one of the real, you know, if you were cherry picking how good a story can be delivered in a game, that would be one of the things that you'd showcase. But this was pretty good for fifteen yeah. years old. Mm. I mean, I was thinking that I'm fond of the Half Life series, especially Half Life One. I like that story, but the really when you think about it, there isn't a whole lot of story to Half Life, and there's a lot of story to yes. this. But again, it does not hold your hand. You have to listen to the audio logs, which don't autoplay. You have to press, yep. you know, that U key. the U button yep. got a lot of use from me. Um, you've got to read the logs. You get the uh, incoming transmissions from Shodan. You've got the, obviously, the third enemy that we never actually mentioned, which is Xerxes himself, the ship, who yeah. is, you know, half taken over by the many, but also still diligently working away as the ship's security mm. against you. Um, and you've got uh, the the other AI characters who are uh, leaving this. Then there's about four different stories going over the top across audio logs. So in the end, I actually quite enjoyed the oh, story. Yeah. yeah, I think, uh, again, you know, uh, both thinking about what was around at the time um, and not, not so, yeah, uh, not so long before um yeah i don't think i don't think it's uh yeah well it's not certainly not weak as such um it's just i think now 15 years on it it's familiar and it's told with yeah. fewer flourishes and because as we say you've you've got like three or four scenes of very rough fmv and and a few scenes through glass where you do get to see see other characters um so it is primarily told through through audio logs and and yeah I, I think overall it does a great job of keeping the the intrigue going even though i think a lot of the the concepts story-wise even even if you hadn't played bioshock and basically saw the story kind of rejigged and retold there um you would know it from space films and horror films um well and the fact that I was asked once I'd got to the twist part um, by uh, Glenn Watts, Mr. Flabby on Twitter, uh, what I thought of it, basically. He, he's very fond of yeah. it. And 
that twist in in it's not even the well, it's kind of nearly the middle of the game I suppose it almost felt inconsequential and I don't mean to disparage the story or that particular twist but they open the game with a big blue arrow pointed yep. at the fact that Shodan's a thing. Remember Shodan? <laughs> See the cover of this game, Shodan. Yeah, yeah. Remember Shodan? Right, forget about that now. Well, no. Yeah. Okay, for people who hadn't played the first game, they maybe needed to know that in order for the reveal of that character to make sense. But for anyone who had played that first game, they were under the impression Shodan was dead. Wouldn't it have been a much nicer reveal for them yeah. if that intro fmv hadn't been i wonder there, how many people really who had played all the way through system shock 2 who then played bioshock uh kind of twigged earlier yeah, than i, I did Alice, what was going yeah, on there yeah. I, I think it was delivered in a better way in bioshock um yeah. and in fact I, I don't even I, don't, I think that's undeniable but one of the best articles i read about uh going back to system shock 2 a, a person said of the twist was that Bioshock 2's version is more of a Hitchcockian trick, giving up the crucial twist early on and letting the audience come to the realisation that simply knowing what's going on isn't actually going to solve anything. Yeah. And it doesn't matter because we know that Shodan is villainous, mm-hmm. but it's such a tiny percentage of that game where you're actually in conflict. For the yeah, vast yeah. majority of that game, it's a forced partnership with Shodan. Yeah, yeah. The many, the and many that's, are the, that's are the threat. They're the ones. Yeah, that's yeah, why exactly. I kind of felt it was almost inconsequential because you go from one female voice telling yeah. you what to do yeah. to another female voice telling you what to do, and okay, the context of that changes. And I really wish they'd done a bit more to push the notion that you had no, which is kind of, I suppose, it is there. You have no choice but to do what Shodan is telling you, um, even though you know, and there are hints at. Uh, the fact that down the line she is going to turn on you at some point. It's, it, it, there's a lot of uh, Shodan and GLaDOS. Mm. Something else I wanted to talk about, which is the, the, the slightly bizarre um, and possibly very variable difficulty curve that this game has. Um, mm-hmm. Because every time in the, in the latter stages of the game where uh, Shodan is um, dishing out these cyber modules and you occasionally find them, you know, in crevices, nooks and crannies on people's bodies and, and wherever else, sometimes they're out of reach and you have to use your psionic grab power if you've got such a thing. Yes. Um, but these are your lifeblood because you've spent mm. the first many hours of this game being so puny and so vulnerable that actually the the weirdness of the difficulty curve, even though it does introduce slightly tougher enemies and things and, and busier rooms full of more turrets and more robots and things, the game actually got easier for me as, as it progressed because I yeah. got more powerful. Yeah. Um, and you also learn the systems and the enemy yes. patterns and that kind of thing as well. But, of course, yeah. Um, yeah, it's kind of weird because I think, you know, a lot of people, as we as we discussed earlier, didn't finish this game um, and they were put off either, either through fear or or the feeling of vulnerability or the combination of the two. And actually, you know, like I can't remember dying too many times in Bioshock early on. Um, and, you know, yeah. and a lot of other games these days, they just wouldn't kill you early on so many times. You know, it, it, a game like that now would be kind of hailed as another Dark Souls or something like this. Oh my goodness, this game's actually not afraid to kill the player. Whereas, of course, when I started playing video games in the in the late 70s, 
that's what games mm. did. They killed you and they killed mm. you and they killed you until you slowly clawed away at getting a bit better and getting slightly longer on your 10p. And that's what this felt more like. Yeah. Uh, and eventually you kind of break the games back at some stage if you've built your character, right? Yeah. And haven't yeah. overspent ammo or or whatever. Um but there are so many ways of managing your 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 inventory and your character throughout the game. Whether you're doing like Carl did and and um, replicating your 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 uh, ammo into nanites, and I was only doing that with one type of ammo, which was for a weapon that I never used, um, and things like this. Or whether you're whether every time you go to a a, a replicator vending machine. Um, and by the way, even those have a sort of little uh, speech thing, which um, which <laughs> may remind you of the circus very, of value yeah um, very much yeah. uh you know and by just every uh side needle you know injection that you can get just to try to sustain those powers throughout the game um it you know it's just weird and and again i just feel like depending on the choices you make quite early on and certainly for the first half of the game it could have a massive bearing on how difficult you find particularly the sort of this game's zen which is the uh, the body of the many where you end up inside the fleshy insides of uh, mm. of a pulsating mass of fleshy creature and just walking willy-nilly from digestive tract into <laughs> womb yeah. i don't think those two are linked <laughs> no Call and then in. and then flushed out uh, of one <laughs> passage or another i wasn't yeah. quite sure which um but yeah so i found that for me the yeah. difficulty kind of bumped up and down depending on the enemies um later on the game yeah. starts throwing on the rickenbacker it starts throwing a lot of um cyber assassins at you who are these sort mm. of uh fairly blocky looking ninjas who throw sort of uh, throwing stars at you my technique with these was to get as close as possible as quickly as possible and stove their head in with a wrench yeah. <laughs> um but when there's a room full of three of them it can get quite tricky yeah, um, but then that wasn't so bad as when I arrived inside the body of the many and suddenly you've got infinitely respawning rumblers who are the game's kind of tank enemies. Uh, yeah. um, <laughs> and I yeah. actually, I had a quick save uh, just before the, the kind of final room of the many. Um, and the, by the way, this game kind of goes on and on longer than I expected it to at this point. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I thought, oh, this could be the bit where I actually have to come on the podcast and say I'm not going to be able to get through this bit mm. until, and you know, and again, this is something that that comes through a lot of the game. There is a kind of there are ways around things, even things that seem impossible. Mm-hmm. You know, take a speed booster, uh, strafe around the entire room, remember what your, or even rebind your health kit key so you can just keep stabbing it so you don't lose enough health. Yeah. Um, and actually, the 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 core thing at the body of the many. Um, was not that hard to didn't take that many shots to kill, so you could pretty much not take out the the this room. It, it reminded me so much of that final room in Half Life that everybody hates, yeah. right? Um, and I and, and Carl, you said you had more problems here, and I'm not surprised. As a side character, was it in this room in particular, or just this whole area? It was sort of the lead up to it when you fight two of the sort of the floating jellyfish creatures, which yeah, I yeah. never actually yeah. knew the name of. Duke Nukem's, um, I call and you've got, <laughs> yeah, and you got two rumblers, um, and and in that time I stopped. I'd, there was no machines, and you couldn't get back because you, at this point, you make a high That's fall it. into some yep. water that yeah. you yeah. you cannot track back, um, and I had thirty six psi points, which is not mm. a lot because um, at this point I had uh, psi pull 
cryokinesis on my uh, rank one uh, of my psi powers. On rank three, I had uh, pyrokinesis, uh, which used three psi points per hit. And then I had the barrier on four, which I didn't use because obviously I had such little psi points. And it takes four pyros to kill one rumbler. Yeah. So you you know you're working out if you got thirty six and then you got to get the brains which are four and then the spider which is two, <laughs> you're, you're you're suddenly realizing that thirty six points isn't going to get you very far. I had five med packs, um, and I had uh, nine speed boosts and one strength boost. So at this point, it was a case of uh, taking the speed boosts and going as yeah. quick and mashing the little because the the jellyfish respawn infinitely unless the, you destroy the master in that room isn't there yeah like yeah. Eight, yeah so you, so you destroy them and then you have to destroy the stars going around a central brain which why are there stars i could <sighs> could not hit them because they go they, they go at various heights and i only yeah. at this point i only oh. had my uh, my my death star psi onic orb and i had the crystal shard and I had the laser rapier for the lightsaber. Yeah, yeah. yeah you, so you that, might have ended up better hitting off them. hitting them with a crystal shard and just jumping oh. at them. To be honest, because it, it, yeah. it was trying to hit them, but the time in the shard fire uh, slowly, yeah. and they're moving all over. Yeah. And eventually, I hit one. One of the rumblers hit the other, and then somehow I hit the third straight away. And I started running around, and I thought, right, if this takes ages, <laughs> I'm going to be in trouble because I've got no size. So I hit the one strength boost. And it destroyed it in one, in two hits. Mm. I was like, "Oh, miracle!" Yeah. But but by this point, I don't know how many times I'd loaded because yeah. you can't. You have to load into the game because there are no essential v, no regeneration yeah. chambers. No, and oh, and it was rage inducing the amount of curse words that came out and mouse throwing and well, and it's completely different I, that set that particular section. It's a very small section in terms of actual yes. game space if you like um it's completely different to i don't know about you guys the way i was playing the rest of the game was very thorough very methodic very slow generally and suddenly this section where you've got respawning enemies um yeah and and too many of them even if you're playing with guns in all honesty you're wasting a lot of ammo to try and take those down really um yeah mm. it's just far easier to to just chain um push the the speed boosts just run through kill all the the brains um and that way you can i mean i had grenade launcher at that point i yes, was just yes. firing everything oh, everywhere i wish i did um, I, I was rocking a grenade launcher and stars i don't know what they're supposed to be no they were they were super easy for me because i was rocking a i was rocking an assault gun with um anti-personnel bullets at this point and they take the oh, stars yeah, out yeah, one hit each yeah. so it's just yeah. uh I, I had another frustration on my character is because it was psionic based from the very start. Mm-hmm. Even with uh, level six stats on my endurance yeah. and strength, mm-hmm. my health would only have a maximum of 60. Uh, mine was only ever 65, I think. Yeah, it's, actually, no, yeah. I couldn't think of it. I got up to about 60, but... They're with mods and with there's bit brawn boost mods and, and things like the this. The armor's gonna be the bigger yeah through there, I think, as well. Yeah, so. I mean that's another yeah. thing worth mentioning. You've got a choice between um there's there's light, medium, and heavy armors that you find as you go through the game. Then mm. there's an energy powered armor which is stronger than any of those, but you have to keep it charged. Which, I, I have to keep charged, then it runs out. I used that the whole yeah, I used game. It yeah. nearly all the time, but um there were sections where you're you either you haven't got a portable battery, which is another way of charging things, or you're yeah, nowhere you near a charging separate. station, so yeah. I end up 
falling yeah, back on them. I had six batteries on me by the end of the yeah. game and, and there was a recharging station right near the end so that was an yeah. absolute yeah. lifesaver for me. Um, but then there's the, the worm armor which I didn't end up researching but I assume that's even stronger than the uh, energy armor. Uh, it's, a, it's actually it, it's not. not. It's, it's got I think it's 30 points in each of defense rad and toxicity yeah, okay. i think right. or something it's like a that good um but if if you take it off or periodically it'll run out of energy effectively oh, okay. i think it is or it uses side points actually doesn't curl oh right um and yeah. and if it, it runs drain, out of, it drains a side point every 10 seconds yeah or so if you run out of side points um it will basically give you tox status there's, there's <laughs> or if you try and take it off it'll do the same i know this is another sort of classic RPG thing that you you probably wouldn't get now in 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 any modern game that wasn't you know I mean the kind of, the thing is you don't get games like this anymore in the sense that yes you get Bioshock and Bioshock Infinite and whatever but games with this sort of uh, level of complexity and depth of mechanics mm. you will probably only find in an indie you know sort of downloadable game space because it's so niche and so hardcore yeah, yeah. um one of them is uh one of the mods is a similar thing yeah you i researched this mod and it was like i oh, you know it offers some significant protection to being poisoned by the spiders and and by the way that's you know that can be quite bad i think it does go through your system eventually but it can do you a lot of damage over a long period of time um put this mod on and that's fine, but should you ever choose to remove the mod, your entire body yeah. gets flooded with toxins. It might be that that I'm that's thinking of. That's the last research, isn't it? That's the last mod that, yeah. you, that you can possibly get. And for the whole time that you're reading it, you're like, this is brilliant, I can't wait to use that. And then obviously the last <laughs> paragraph yeah. is, if you remove it, you will be flooded with the toxins. And you're so like, you're basically oh. in typos on hand yes. the whole time you're using that's it. That's right, yeah. 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 No, it's, it's that that I'm thinking of, but I, I swear with the worm armor, there was some kind okay. of downside. I think the, it was the, the side points, wasn't it? The worm armor was 30, 30, and 30. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it, and it drained the side, side points right. yeah. every 10 Which seconds. Which, if you're a side character, is just presumably a complete no-go. So, James, you, um, you mentioned you had rock, uh, you know, grenade launchers. Is that generally the route you went down, or did you go for a blend? Or The, the options at the beginning struck me as very similar to Mass Effect, um, in that you've got the soldier marine class, then you've got the navy engineer slash engineer class, um, and then you've obviously got your your psi abilities, which um, which equate rather nicely. Um, in Mass Effect, the original Mass Effect, I played engineer class, um, and so I stuck with that. So I had a mixture of hacking and guns, and I just managed to get enough points together for the grenade launcher because I picked up so many grenades. I thought. I need something to basically the rumblers. I need something to be able to take them down uh, a bit more swiftly, and some of the the droids. I wish as well. I could have thrown a grenade. Honestly, playing playing that game, I couldn't throw a single grenade, yeah. and you, I must yeah. have had at least fifty. Yeah, yeah it would have been nice to have the game, option. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but but you do need the grenade launcher, and that means you need to get up to the sort of heavy weapon status. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 It's one of those things. It's it, it's very critical RPG. If you want to be able to do something, you've got to go the whole way and sacrifice something else. Yeah. And yeah. obviously, they were my sacrifices by being so strong in melee and psi, which you know I thoroughly loved mm. the game the way I played it. In the same way that that other people are going to love using guns and stuff. So I, I understand it. It's just it's one of those things, you know, it, when you play a first-person shooter and. You know, you've got an assault rifle and you're like, I wish I had a sniper rifle yeah. at this moment. And then you pick the sniper rifle and you're like, why is everyone running at me? I need a shotgun. <laughs> it's that sort of the same sort of thing when you're playing this. I, I really love that. Nowadays, so often I hear about choice for the player and it comes down to binary decisions yeah. that you make at key points in the game. Yeah. I'm sorry, I don't, that's arbitrary. It's 
often completely context-free and it doesn't really enhance my enjoyment of most games that I've seen it in. In this case, the choices you make, much XCOM, another good example, you have choices to make and it's going to affect the way your game pans out. I, I much prefer uh, uh, choices or, or that kind of uh, morality system where it's based on a series of things you do where you're not even making conscious decisions necessarily, but it's just a, a weight of all the decisions you've made throughout the game, the innocuous ones as much as the important ones, and it leaves you with in this case, a character that I felt that was something I had crafted myself. Yeah, um, I, th- I think the sort of, yeah, the difference in, uh, you know, depth and breadth of, of choice here that you were just talking about is probably similar to, um, obviously, Deus Ex, as we said, it has a relationship to this game um, yeah, and much, compared yeah. to yeah. Human Evolution, which, you know, is a, is a game we, we did a podcast on many moons ago and most of us had a yeah. lot of fun with it. But the the choices in the game, especially you know, famously the ending was another Mass Effect three style A B or C binary nonsense. Um, yeah. But e- even in terms of the way you approach certain areas, um, you know, do you want to go in through the vent or yeah. do you want to go in all guns blazing? It was it was much more you know it was much more streamlined. Much more binary. And um, I suppose even, even in Bioshock actually it, it was yes. actually much more streamlined yeah, than it is yeah. here. There were paths to take, and, and I still maintain that my favourite and arguably the the um, simplest way to play through the game is wrench electroshock the whole way pretty much you can see you where can, that came from as well because yeah, the wrench absolutely. is a powerful weapon in system shock too isn't it and especially yeah. if you've got brombus and, yeah. and stuff like that yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah i mean maybe you know I, I don't i wouldn't say that that sort of level of flexibility in gaming is is completely gone but i suppose uh you know obviously games have this was made for a very particular audience again yeah. pc gamers in the late 90s um this was not a mainstream crowd whereas you know something like dishonored which you know i didn't particularly get on with that well myself although i really mm. admired a lot of it i think that perhaps was more like the old thief games in the sense that there were a number of ways in which you could tackle each scenario yeah. um so it's not it's not gone maybe and i and i suspect I, that a lot of people play things you can certainly see the lineage, can't you, from where the games oh, have gone yeah. and yeah. how Looking Glass worked on Thief, then they worked on this, then they broke up and they formed studios like Arcane, which is obviously Dishonored, and all the games that are similar to this, it's quite an incredible history. Legacy, to, yeah. uh, if you look, if you, if yeah. you look at how Looking Glass, who it, it's weird because this is if, on the main menu, it says it's a Looking yeah. Glass game, mm. but it's very much yeah, an irrational yeah. game with Looking yeah. Glass yeah, yeah. helping. Um, and if you look how Looking Glass split up. It's very impressive the, the studios the impact, that a lot yeah. of their talent went to, yeah, yeah. yeah. And and it all filters down that all the games that take this kind of risk, because that's essentially what this is. If you did this in a new game now, that would be such a massive risk to alienating mm. people that it just seldom ever happens. You know, Bioshock, yeah. again, we've said it, it's so much more streamlined yeah. than this, that any game that takes a risk even remotely like this usually has come from, a, seems to have come from a studio that broke away from the uh, dismantling of Looking Glass. Yeah. I guess the argument for, for people, and there will be many of them who have played this game, and it wasn't it wasn't the fear, it wasn't the vulnerability that put them off. It may well have been the fact that it was perfectly possible to get third or two-thirds or even, you know, 90% through the game and just get stuck. Yeah. It was quite late in the day for a, for a game to be uh, sort of t- to possibly render itself unfinishable. I mean, when I was first yeah. playing computer games in the eighties, particularly um, you know, uh, yeah, eight bit stuff. Um, 
it was normal for games not to be finishable, either because they literally weren't mm. finishable because they'd never programmed the last few levels. That used to happen. Um, yeah, or they, yeah. And they'd make it deliberate, you know, they deliberately put a, a wall in the way so you couldn't get to the latter stages. But it was... It, impossible yeah, jumps. impossible jumps, <laughs> that sort of thing. So but it, it was also qu- quite feasible to, uh, you know, say in, in a, in a slick, slickly designed Japanese game, the sort of thing we got used to in the Mega Drive and, and SNES era, um, you know, sequence breaking kind of became a thing. Whereas in certain eight bit arcade adventures, you broke the sequence, you broke the game, you know, that was it. You you were, you were done and dusted. So for 1999, you know, long after we'd got used to um, playing, you know, slick Nintendo type products that, you know, were, you can, you cannot get stuck, you know, you, that, that would be anathema yeah. to the, their design philosophies to, mm-hmm. for a game and to play one now in 2014 is, um, is sort of very it's it's an odd feeling but fortunately because there are there is there are so many resources for us to lean on walkthroughs and 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 yeah i mean i definitely you know we'll we'll obviously we'll recommend this game or not in in shortly but um i do recommend if you do play it um read up on a guide of creating your character um in in the sense that that is if you are not somebody who's going to be happy to maybe have to replay the game three times because like for me i felt as i knew i had to finish this game on a deadline i couldn't afford to get stuck so i i decided to look into what the absolutely essential things were to make sure that you didn't get stuck um and i think that's kind of I, i don't feel i don't feel dirty for having looked that up because um <laughs> before we talk about uh, the final section um we must just talk a little about the sound because i think it's quite a key part um now we, we talk the, there are three composers involved talking about the music first um now i think some of the music for me sounded very much of its time there's also some really quite cool ambient stuff but my favorite stuff was gen- generally the rooms where there's no um music but there is uh, the sounds of computers and consoles beeping or just yeah. that amazing deep space rumble is my favorite i think um, mm. just rooms where i was i've been pl- I played the whole thing with headphones on quite bassy headphones and just um being in areas where you've got that yeah you no. you, you can be absolutely swallowed by the atmosphere yeah. of some of the audio in sections of that game. i think some of the things that the game does very interestingly are it layers the sound so even though you'll have that rumble going on you'll hear just this tiny little tick and and each enemy has a very distinctive familiar sound that goes with them so you can you can yeah. tell very quickly and sometimes you can tell the number of and enemies distance. that will be around as well and distance mm. and where they are um, and it also yeah that, exactly as you say leon it's got a dynamic to it so if a door closes the sound will actually dull and uh, i uh, it may well be that other games at that time probably half-life and, and the like were doing that sort of thing but it struck me that that was something that i think of as being much more modern in gaming you know things muffling or or distance changing the the effect of a sound not yeah. just volume Def- but like that muffling effect that it has on definitely it as well, the reviews really at cool. the time were more far more um you know uh, in praise of the audio than mm. the visuals uh, yeah. as i yeah. as i recall um i think the sound design was probably yeah. ahead of its time in in exactly those yeah. areas um those and i think the spiders in particular that it's so unsettling especially when they become invisible <laughs> or, you know, almost invisible. And you've got these almost invisible spiders that you can but hardly you can hear, see, you especially when you're in the belly them. of the beast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, but you can hear them around you and you start sort of 
all you're doing is sort of turning in circles, looking at the floor, going, "I know you're around here somewhere." Mm. <laughs> the um, yeah, that 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 side yeah, of it worked really well. The, the cargo bays were the other area for me because obviously the nature of these open lift shafts means that if there yes. was if there was an enemy directly above you, you would hear it almost as if it was yes, right behind you. Yeah. Number yeah. of times I was spinning around looking for this enemy, and of course it was right up above me or below me or whatever, and. Uh, it, but it, it unnerved me being in an area that was uh, vertical and horizontally um, complex like that. So just to talk about the sort of conclusion of the game, um, as as is the way we do things now, we don't go too far into telling the story bit by bit. Um, but you do end up inside the body of the many, which is um, almost certainly my least favourite section of the game. Um, it has a bit where you have to swim through under through radiated irradiated water with no um, with no clue of where you're going. It's sort of you know suddenly you're in this, albeit low poly, this very. Um, uh, organic type environment and so you know you lo- obviously it's designed to make you feel out of place and lose your bearings you've got used to this very as i say clinical linear yeah. ship type place mm-hmm. um but it it looks again unmodded it looks horrific like not in modded it yeah, looked pretty not, horrific not in as a well, good way leon if i'm being honest it's more the design yeah. uh, it, it's clearly a, a real limitation of the engine that they were building because it's quite poor. And for anyone who wants any comparison, it's the the flood section in Halo Three. Um, if you, if anyone's played that, is probably the closest to this. But that is like really good mm. in comparison mm. to how System Shock Two did it. And I yeah, hate that I think bit. most people no, did Halo yeah. Three. So, but this this is the Zen, as you I'm said afraid it is, uh, yeah. earlier in the show. Yeah. Yeah. This is the Zen. Of uh, System that Shock said, 2. there are, there were a couple of little bits I like, like finding that um, sort of upturned bit of a uh, bit of a sh- of the ship in the Rickenbacker in it. So yeah. where you got to kind of go in and charge up your battery, and there's a chemical room and stuff. I, I like that, but yeah. the rest of it was pretty horrific, culminating in a horrible, um, albeit ultimately easily bypassed boss fight um but then you uh get flushed out down uh, an orifice and uh you kind of find yourself in the mind of uh shodan somehow um and you end up actually back at the start of system shock one as as she remembers it so this was a real sort of metal gear solid four um flashback type Mm. treat for those who had played the first game um which obviously was slightly lost on me uh, but this section's very brief. It's, it's the, probably the, the shortest actual bit of the game um, around a few rooms, avoiding some, some deadly data being uh, uh, sort of just floating around the place. A few more cyber again, ninjas. Just really bizarre because it changes, again, the game from what you've kind of got used yeah. to. Yeah. Um, and, and it seems quite easy to to not work out where you're supposed to go in some of the bits, you know, where you're jumping down the, pl- the platforms and, and the last third of the game, suddenly you get platforming on the Rickenbacker and beyond that you never really had before. Yeah, it's there's a, a few weird, but, dodgy um, bits of platforming it, with um, slightly annoying jumps. The, the bit that yeah. surprised me most about the end that I don't really understand was that you start fighting invisible or holographic yes. ninjas. yeah. Which means that the holographic enemies were technically Shodan playing them in your mind via the psi implants. So if so, why was I fighting invisible spiders when I was working with her to try and 
bite off. I thought maybe the they, uh, maybe they were just they, camouflage well, spiders. Like they were, yeah. They, the, the spiders had three different stages, didn't they? The fairly weak ones, and then the larger, sort of darker coloured ones. Yeah. And I think then, they're just supposed to be like invisible. That was an evolution creepy, of those. translucent spiders, um, right? Because that did confuse me. I know that a couple of audio logs talk about the evolution yeah. of the enemies towards the end of the game, yeah. but th- but that bit totally threw me because I thought, is she playing those through the psi implants that have been put in me, where suddenly you know I'm being bent to her will and she's putting these holograms in, in for me to fight. Well, was, as, yeah, as I understood it, it just it, confusing. It was either that it was coming in through your implants and therefore they could kill you because they would damage your implants, which were connected directly yeah. to your brain. Or, But at that point, she's already accessing the FTL drive and starting to create an alternate reality. She is literally changing reality. Um, and so it could just be that these are droids that are being brought into existence by her manipulation yeah. of the Von Braun's ftl drive so i wasn't very sure on that either but ultimately i think they do give a couple of explanations as to why these holographic or or at least partially constituted droids are able to actually damage you and you them descending down one last uh, shaft meaning that you definitely can't ever get back up i think there's an audio log which actually says this is the final boss fight um for definite so <laughs> uh, so you know that i was wondering about this final boss fight which is uh, a circle strafe tastic uh run around arena where you're Mm. You occasionally get um, uh, bothered by a sort of a personification of Shodan, but mainly you're trying to uh, shoot her Tron, Tron-esque face in, uh, into pieces. Um, is it possible to not have the hacking skill required to hack uh, her shields down at this point? Because that would be pretty extraordinary if that was the case. Um, I assume um, it is, but um, at this point in the game, you probably picked up a couple of ice picks that if you haven't used elsewhere, the auto-hack tools essentially. At this so. point, I'm sure the point that you mentioned earlier, Leon, where you need the thing to blow up the spaceship, you need a hacking skill out of that machine. Uh, she gives you a to mod, be able to she? Regenerate. Oh, yeah, nearby, so yeah. I guess, therefore, you must at least have whatever the basic hacking yeah, They couldn't be that is. cruel, could they, to right. let you down there with the, with the inability? I'm, I'm thinking you must be forced into yes. hacking something to have that hack level and i thought I it was that right, moment actually. to get the yeah. bit to blow yeah. up the bit in the cargo yeah. bit uh, but i was quite fortunate because i had two of the any ice pick yeah, yeah, yeah. on yeah. me so it was, i only had to hack one and the other just threw it at the other ones yep so um and again the actual shooting of the face um she's she's it's surprised found this surprisingly easy this boss fight i was expecting hell yeah. um she fires yeah. some very slow and easy to dodge missiles there's some uh panels on the floor which occasionally take off a little bit of health and there's her manifestation which is easily seen off with a slap to the face um or or just avoid or just avoid it if, if you like if you take a speed boost you can yeah. just run away from and then it her actual face only took a re- you know a clip of um assault rifle bullets i, find- I think Obviously, you need some physical way of interacting with Shodan in a boss fight, but she's AI, she's data. She, you can't shoot. Well, you can't, you as, can't as, the, as the spoiler, as we'll come to the post credits. Yeah. Well, there's no credits, interestingly. Um, you have to click on them, you yeah. don't get them at the end. Yeah. Um, but there, yes, you can't kill her by shooting her face off, but apparently enough is done for you to think you've won maybe the idea is you're destroying the ftl drive or something yeah. to, uh, to stop her in a track I yeah don't know. but yeah a very boss fighty boss fight at the fortunately end fortunately not was... tortuous though um no at no. least there was that 
Um, uh, but it culminates in, bizarrely, the game suddenly turns into Duke Nukem 3D. Um, when it, when it, oh. she, she does the end villain speech of, you know, join us and we can rule the galaxy uh, side by side, you with your modifications and human manifestation and me. And he, was he going to screw that or something and shoots her in the face like some sort of terrible... He just goes, Oh, that's nah. it, that's it. He just went, nah. Yeah, it's like really sort of action movie cheese. So out of, yeah. Out of, yeah, yeah. So out of character from the previous 15 First hours you've been saying playing. It. Asylum protagonists aside, at least in this game, it allows you to play yourself or to role play someone. But as soon as you introduce a voice there, that is now a defined character. <laughs> And his character is that guy, and his yeah. his character for yeah. a start. So you no longer can be female. Uh, I think up to that point, there's nothing to. Well, define you knew you. he was a male yeah. because you saw him come out of yeah, stasis at the very oh, start. Yeah, so you know, true. he's got Fair. such a weird, messed up face. He could be anything, really. <laughs> well, yeah, that's true. I suppose. But, um, as as with a lot of the rest of the show, I did actually find some Ken Levine quotes okay. regarding the ending of the game. And and he said, due to miscommunications or differing ideas, a different cinematic video was created from the one that I originally scripted. It had this elaborate sequence where Shodan would attempt to kill you in a double cross as this quote unquote cyber stinger that was in view provided tension of your impending doom. Upon getting his hands on this video for the ending sequence, Levine didn't see anything that he right. wrote in the script. We we didn't have much to work with. It was like when you look in the cupboard and you're trying to make soup <laughs> and you have this bag of salt and a couple of pinto beans. Working with fixed assets can be extremely challenging, especially with limited time and resources, as well as fighting the technology, which we were back then. Levine remembers we had to write to that uh, we had to write to the assets we had at that point, and all we could do was edit it. We completely ran out of time and that cutscene wasn't the right ending uh. for that game. Interesting, which seems completely yes. <laughs> true because that yeah. is so ill-fitting yeah. with the the whole experience. It's, it's one of those things where it's, because like, I wasn't thoroughly, you know, into the story. I was, I was into the atmosphere and I was into the mechanics mm, and I was yeah. into finishing yeah. the game. It didn't like break my heart that the ending was so cheesy and naff. But there was yeah. that little bit of like, really, <laughs> is that how you're going to yeah. end it? Yeah, it was yeah. It, it's it? almost like it's yeah. lowered itself. To you know, yeah, especially after I think that hurt even more. Maybe after Bioshock, where you where you know the writing has been so good, and you're like, well, this is the game where it all came from, and then you've got yeah. that at the end, and you're like, that's not. Does right. that include you know? Obviously, that it, uh, I assume he's referring to the nah bit. Is he also referring to the 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 bit after that where so you'll finally um, get to see that you've heard a lot if you've been listening to the audio logs, I suppose. Uh, from this couple, the names of whom I've forgotten. Yeah, uh, Suarez. And... Su- uh, it's Suarez it. and Rebecca. It's Tommy and Rebecca, isn't it? Tommy, Tommy Suarez and Rebecca. I think yeah, Tommy so Suarez throughout the game, and, um, and you actually see them uh, get into a shuttle. You yeah. see them leave. Yeah. yeah, they steal your. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> which, which which is a really strange moment because it's that moment where you see someone actually getting away because up to this point they'd all, They've all come been to an untimely demise yeah, yeah. and or it's shot. like the actions that you'd been taken has actually allowed yeah, these to get away. Which, which is yeah, pretty cool. which is, I'm sure, exactly why, you know, you had some, you know, engagement, some connection with these characters, which is why they're brought yeah. back in a post-credits sting if there were credits. Um which is yeah. where uh, Rebecca comes out of the shower, or whatever, and she has uh, she is now 
manifested into showdown which is you know kind of your classic yeah in post horror uh everything since carrie has a <laughs> at the end yeah it's, it's yeah. a proper twilight zone sort of style fitting I mean, the, ending isn't it the weird thing oh, yeah, so. does it make any sense the, the weird <laughs> well the weird thing there is there's one of the logs where she talks about the fact that she's been injured but she's going to try and meet him um still and, yeah. and obviously she she makes it um but presumably she was therefore injured by one of the worms or something like mm-hmm. that. And the idea is these worms are, are a creation of, of Shodan um, in order to, to basically improve humanity by providing yeah, the annelids, which I thought there is power. a similarity with, yeah, the, uh, yeah. with the Bioshock slugs. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and in this case, I assumed she'd been attacked by a, a worm and was going to undergo an annelid transformation. Yeah. And yet she comes out as Shodan, which yeah. is, Strange, but the many was born from Shodan, so it makes sense that okay. there would be that link there. But and Shodan was playing with the faster than light drive to create the alternate universe, uh, in which the alternate reality in which she could actually become. So, yeah, yeah. at that point, you realize that she'd done it. You were yeah, technically yeah, you were too late, yeah. you were fighting yeah. past Shodan, the AI Shodan, yeah. and this is the real. And that was the end Shodan. of that story because there was no more uh, system shock. He, we moved on yeah, to Rapture yeah. and then Columbia and um, yeah, Showdown was put to bed. But I'm sure there's plenty of fan fiction out there. Possibly some of it's slash fiction, um, if that's your bag. Mm. <laughs> anyway, um, let's hear from uh, three community members from the forum who posted all about their time. Some in some cases brief with System Shock too, starting with James and Baker's Twelve. Uh, Bakerswell says, in the early 90s, I was into FPSs in a big way. A mate of mine who was not but loved his RPGs lent me this. It was a revelation to me. Along with Deus Ex, it showed me that games could blend genres and not be defined as exclusively one thing. It also opened my mind to new ways of storytelling. No longer was that story only told by cutscenes, but with audio logs in the environment. Though this was not a new thing, it was the first time it resonated with me. Though my memories are hazy, I remember it being very hard, with tough enemies and ammo being hard to find. So much so that when you go to the second ship, my supplies were so short that I would die on my first encounter, meaning that I never completed the game. It was the strength of this game alone that got me interested in Bioshock when it was first announced. Cool. Mm. Mr. Flabio said, System Shock 2 is an important game. Although one that shows its age if you play it now, much like Deus Ex. For those newer to the hobby, i.e. those not as old as me, that might be a barrier to being able to enjoy it, but it's definitely worth persevering with. There are lots of patches and texture packs for it now, to lessen the shock of the old somewhat. This was the game that cemented an idea that FPS could be more than just about being a quake guy stomping along corridors shooting everything. It wasn't the first but it was the one that caught the imagination of other game developers the most, so its influence is strong. Delivering narrative through a combination of audio logs and radio messages rather than actual face-to-face contact with other characters was a neat way around the technical constraints of doing good cutscenes, cutscene humans at that time. This almost epistolary narrative technique would go on to become very popular not just with later shock games, but elsewhere from Alan Wake to Halo ODST. And it's a decently shocking story. It twists in interesting ways and has some genuine holy shit moments. And one of the most memorable AI villains until GLaDOS came along. 
Quench Design, thank you very much because uh, he wrote one post and then closed his browser without posting it. And uh, Carl then said, oh, go and do it again. And he did. So bless you. Uh, he says, System Shock 2 was an eye-opener for the 17-year-old me. Just the, just like the Ludovico technique was an eye-opener for Alex in Clockwork Orange, <laughs> it was a brutal shock to the senses, leaving me feeling uncomfortable, but strangely reformed. I don't remember getting hyped about it. I don't even remember buying it, so I didn't have a lot invested in it. I do have a very strong memory of absolutely not understanding it the first time I put it on. I come from first-person shooters like Shadow Warrior, where the most complex task was to find a matching coloured keycard, and the most freedom I'd had up to that point was moseying around Hyrule Field. System Shock 2 was just too outside of my video game comfort zone at the time, and after half an hour of walking around in circles and not understanding anything, I switched it off, uninstalled it, and went back to my happy place. However, it must have planted a seed as I never stopped thinking about this strange game. It must have been many months later, but I gave it another go, knowing that this isn't just a run and gun and maybe I should treat it differently. What I got back from putting a bit of effort in turned my relationship with computer games upside down. System Shock 2 created an atmosphere so thick you could almost taste it. For me, this was the first time a narrative-driven game had managed to align everything to point towards a singular purpose, to create fear. The graphics for the environment were so sharp and cold and everywhere amidst the gigantic spaceship were areas that felt like there should be people busy at work, eating, relaxing, but the emptiness evokes that primal fear of being in a dank, derelict building. The sound effects were terrifying, the garbled utterances of the many, the droids with their friendly platitudes or the feckin' sigh monkeys. Everything was designed to tell you it was dangerous and it was near. Also, the sound recordings were a sensation for me and worked perfectly in building up tension and following the story. Although they pretty much all ended up as, oh, I haven't heard from Dave in medical for a while. I better go see where he is. It was enough <laughs> to tell you that ahead is bad news. But most of all, the game succeeded in creating the feeling of acute isolation. Devon Brown was not your home. It was empty of company, albeit for a couple of glimpses of other people. You were free to get completely lost. It was gigantic, dangerous, and in the middle of space, and it was controlled by Shodan. Up to System Shock 2, I'd never played something where the antagonist has been designed to be cruel and psychologically unhinge you. It's such a strong experience, that she's, and she's so well written, that I started to enjoy her chiming in and trying to unsettle me. It was part of the challenge to stay sane. System Shock 2 was a massive milestone for me. I bounced from that to Deus Ex to Morrowind as the technology for more open play experiences was becoming more developed and I was lapping it up. I'm not sure I'd like to go back to it. I think there have been so many refinements in the last 15 years that it would make it a fiddly, frustrating experience to play today. I will always remember it with great fondness and have as many special memories aboard the Von Braun as I do in Rapture. Great post. Thanks for coming back mm, with that. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, uh, you know, I find myself agreeing with most of that. I don't think it, you know, it, because I played it now for the first time at the age of 42 in 2014, it didn't yeah. have quite the same unsettling, you know, overpowering psychological effect. But on the plus side, um, saying that it would be too fiddly and frustrating, uh, I didn't find that either. I found it uh, enjoyably fiddly. Well, we'll come to that in our summaries. But before then, uh, from Twitter, at Kane and Rince, some three worders. Uh, Guybrush says, "Scary worm men." Simon Cole, arguably Levine's finest. Quench Design again says, "Psychologically unhinging isolation." Zach Smart, Foundations of Greatness. David Merritt, 
dated, atmospheric, unforgettable. Martin Baker, I can't do the voice. Maybe Jay will insert the sample. Probably won't. <laughs> how do I? How we, we all need to say it together or something? I don't know. Anyway, run, run, run. Our final one, Eddie Van Helgen says, silence the discord. Indeed. Thank you very much, everybody, for your uh, contributions as ever. Keep them coming in. Don't forget uh, to post on the forum ahead of the recording. That's uh, canarince.com slash forum. Or you can email us, podcast at canarince. Or as I say, just follow us on Twitter and um, look out for our requests for three-word reviews. Time to summarize uh, in this sci-fi horror experience of a show. Carl. System Shock 2 was sort of one of the games that I've wanted to do on this podcast for so long. Um, I seem to remember putting it down when we first started the show because I always wanted to complete it, but I always felt that I needed a purpose to do it because the game was so old and sometimes that doesn't necessarily board well for it. And if we're all going back to it, we can have a healthy discussion about what potentially made it so great back in the day. And you always have all these worries about it. And I bought System Shock 2 as soon as it came out last year, like James did, and all of my worries sort of washed away after 20 minutes, and I realised that even without the mods, uh, as I'd started the game, the atmosphere and the intent of story far outweighed any of the technical limitations that I was going to encounter on this game. And as Leon alluded to right at the end there, that... The game is quite fiddly, but I never felt that it was fiddly in a way that was detracting from my enjoyment of the experience. If anything, I was enjoying the refreshing change uh, of playing such an old school, very PC game. Um, and it absolutely shone in so many ways. I loved the little uh, audio logs that you found in the game and the dependency uh, of reading them sometimes for the key codes, which... You enter mm. manually mm. in this game. Mm. You know, you, you have to go and enter these codes in. It, it doesn't automatically do it like all the games seem to these days. And there was a technique to the hacking. There's a technique to every element of this game. And when I read up and found that this game was made in 11 months, I find it mind-blowing because there is so much content. There are so many little things, and you truly can see all the little influences that made Bioshock one of the all-time classic games it is. And... It's just so good and it's so refreshing now because this game, you could argue it was of its time because it was so good then, but playing it now, it doesn't feel like a 15-year-old game other than how it looks aesthetically. And we hear all the time of how often we want to see remakes of games and, and how maybe it wouldn't work now. I would absolutely kill for a brand new from the ground up remake of System Shock 2 because this game does so many things right that you can only imagine how good it could be now. It's absolutely outstanding and it's way better than I ever expected it would be and there's all those lists you read for years and years of the best game ever made is System Shock 2, the best villain in a, in a, in a game is Shodan and the scariest game of all time is System Shock 2, and you read it and you go, well, for years I would go, no, it's, it's Half-Life. Oh, you know, you, you're just being ridiculous. You just, because it was released at the same time, you feel you have to fight the call. I can totally see where every one of those positive comments came from because 
although it's quite alienating and you have to fight the game and it people can walk away after half an hour, I understand all that. Sticking with this game is one of the best accomplishments I have made in recent times <laughs> yeah. because no, I feeling. would I would wake up on a morning and I'd be like, I can't wait to play a bit of System Shock 2 or I'd be before bed and I'm going to play, I'm going to play a bit more System Shock 2 and people would invite me or do you want to come play Battlefield 4? No, I'm busy. <laughs> Are you coming out tonight? No, I'm busy. <laughs> and it was actually, <laughs> I'm going to play a bit more of this 15 game. 15-year-old RPG, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's 15 years old. It, it it blows my mind how many games that are newer than that are almost unplayable for what they tried. And then you play this and it just feels... It, it, I've overused this word time and time again in this podcast, but I'm going to use it one more time. It's a rewarding experience playing through this game. And the we all know Rapture is an incredible world. We all know Columbia is incredible. And I can genuinely say I would have the Von Braun up there with them because I felt that learning that environment and walking it as if I was actually there without the aid of an arrow, without the aid of someone just coming over the speakers, which is one of my pet hits in all new games of, why haven't you done this yet? You know you have to go here. And just berating you for it constantly. This told you once. And if you didn't hear it, you'd better start looking through your logs. Because it will not remind you. It is brutal in how it doesn't hold your hands. And for that, I love it all the more. And for one pound and change in all the sales, I find it hard to believe that if you have not played this game, you will find a better bargain value for your money than System Shock 2. Looks like I should have put Carl last again this time. Um, <laughs> although I, I feel James is going to be uh, enthusiastic. Um, I enjoyed this game very much as well. I don't think I'm I'm quite as in love with it uh, as Carl sounds like he is um, because I think I I probably just had more problems with some of the elements, some of the pernickety bits, some of the I, I found it quite uneven. Some of the some of the decks and some of the sections I thought were terrific. Um, some of them less so, but. I totally enjoyed getting immersed in the world of being on the Von Braun, even with my unmodded vanilla 1999 version um, played at, uh, you know, a 768 resolution on a, on a widescreen monitor. Thankfully, it does have that option. Um, apparently, the Steam version or, or the, the recently re-released version, also they um, left in a modded uh, co-op mode, but I've not even looked into that mm. and we've not talked about it mm. Because this was clearly designed as a single-player experience um, where you're lurking um, on this uh, horrifically oppressive, claustrophobic ship and having to jump through hoops to earn every bit of progress um, to not die over and over again. Um, There are a number of ways to approach it. As we say, you could uh, let the uh, regeneration chambers you know continually bring bring you back to life and and continue to live that way you can do what i did and play it the pc gamers way of of abusing the quick save if you will but that didn't detract from the game's challenge or difficulty or atmosphere for me and yeah the the strongest feeling that i come away from is that sense of immersion that was brought about by the very old school PC game, pernickety mouse and keyboard interface, the inventory management, the items, the resource, uh, you know, monitoring and um, having to do all that stuff, having to do it for yourself, not having waypoints, not having the golden arrow, 
um, applying things to other things, using your noggin, reading stuff, all this, you know, stuff which, um, you know, it mm. hasn't gone away, but you wouldn't necessarily find it in a game like this. And, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. Um, apart from some sections, some ill-advised bits and bits that I felt were rushed. Now, now knowing that the game is 11 months in development, I'm not surprised. The game that it reminded me most of, we talked a lot about influences, is a game... Carl, you might remember this one, um, Corporation by Core Design. Um, it, oh, yes. It was um, a, a early sort of first-person uh, Amiga ST game, also got ported to Mega Drive, I think. It was astonishingly hard, and if you look at it now, um, the graphics are astonishingly slow and plain. But it, <laughs> but it was uh, very similar to this in a lot of ways, and I wonder if it was a slight a slight influencer. Um, you are sneaking around a building with lots of security, and there are monsters, and you have this first person interface clicking on the world. Um, that game, I again, I found it was it was too intense, too difficult, and put me off. Just as System Shock Two did the first time, but like Carl, I'm really glad I went back to it. Really glad I had the excuse or the you know the desire and the need to do it for this podcast. Um, and I think given that it's such a little price to pay to give a, give this a go, I think uh, anyone with a PC that can run 15-year-old games should try it <laughs> because you might just end up having a really cracking time with it. Yeah. And let's finish with James. I can't think of a worse thing to do in this game than play it co-op. <laughs> I, I honestly can't. I, I, I respect massively the work that someone yeah, must yeah. have put in to, to, to make that co-op. I, I can't even fathom how it no. would work. Um, but I can't think of something I would I rather do less. I only read that earlier. I, um, I, I don't, I've not cor- yeah, uh, you know, yeah. um, ratified it or whatever, but <laughs> apparently no, no. it's there. Mm. Yeah, it, it strikes me as a very odd thing to do in, in this game. And the reason for that is... Um, you talked about uh, earlier, Leon and Carl, s- scares, and perhaps a bit like with difficulty, I don't think of myself as getting scared at games, but what I very definitely get is tense. Um, Dead Space uh, and, and yeah. Dark Souls and Demon Souls, when I first played them, were games I could only play for an hour at a time, and I had to stop. I had to stop because my entire back and shoulders and arms were just so tense. Absolutely. Having gripped and just gone so rigidly taut. And games that, that do that to me are games that lean on isolation. Um, and and what what I saw in System Shock 2, um, you're in the aftermath of an isolated society and you are on your own for all of the game, really. I mean, you see a few other people, but they're not, really interacting with you in any meaningful way um and they're certainly not accompanying you in any meaningful way um and actually having shodan's voice in in your ear the whole time just reminds you how alone you are because she never feels like a supportive even when she's pretending to be polito it never feels like a supportive companion to you at all it feels like someone who is at best using you um, at worst actually has malice towards you um, and and I love that sense of isolation that, that System Shock 2 gave me um, I wrote down a list of a page long of all the things that I saw in this game, obviously having played it after Bioshock, that reminded me of yeah. Bioshock, I was surprised by that, as I understood it 
Bioshock was a game that brought me back into gaming after a while. And as I understood it from the reaction it got, it was doing a lot of things that people felt like they hadn't seen done or done as well, perhaps, before. And this game, I've I've said it in the Burnout series, I was, I was surprised with that, how much of the later games were in the earlier ones. And I was really surprised. Um, areas, characters, there are direct corollaries uh, in almost every aspect of System Shock 2. Um and it just absolutely floored me. The Deus Ex is a game that I played a couple of years back for the first time, and this is right up there as a game that, again, I don't like to say it's difficult because I, I don't think it is. I think it's demanding or and rewarding is, is a word Carl used, and I absolutely feel that about this. Um, it, it does things that may be seen as unfair. It allows players to make mistakes and then punishes them for it, which um, is is possibly not fair at all. But I have an utmost respect for the notion of creating a game like this and allowing for failure to occur and not necessarily having the player feel like it's a bad thing. And I know it sounds odd, even though you're being punished potentially for it, it doesn't necessarily feel like a bad thing. It feels like you're learning. If you get lost, you are learning the map. If you die, you are learning how to take down that enemy or how to use your abilities better. Um, and that obtuse side of things is, um, I've talked about Dark Souls before, Demon Souls. I've talked about Far Cry 2 um, is a game that rubs people a, a, a lot in the wrong way, often due to mechanics, but I, I would argue they are as intentional in that game as they are here. Um, there are there are games like this, and Bioshock is one of them as well, that allows players to discover story mechanics and and the world, the, the environment, the actual level design. Um, this is an incredible example of that, and I was surprised that it happened so early. It's my own ignorance is to shame there, but uh, to see that uh, right up alongside, as, as Carl said, Half-Life and, and Deus Ex of the time, and every bit of match for, for Bioshock in many, many ways, perhaps not just in the presentation and, and that streamlining we talked about and, and the flourish in the storytelling you mentioned, Leon. But yeah, this is a remarkable, remarkable game. Um, and and I will be glad to go back to it someday and try a different difficulty, a different uh, play style, and just to to see what else I can discover. Yeah, excellent stuff. Well done, Ken and Co. On System Shock Two, um, and it's out there now for not very much money. So if you've been inspired, you know what to do. It just remains for me, Leon Cox, to thank James and Carl and to tell you that next time, in issue 141, we become the sinister horror lurking in the shadows. It's the Chronicles of Riddick. Until then. You have accomplished much for a thing of such small consequence. <laughs> <laughs>